0: my prayer this morning that God will bless the reading of his scripture and that the words from my mouth will be what we need to hear this morning I want to start off with a love story it's a nice love story and some would call it an enchanting story and the best part about this story is that it's true it really did happen the story begins with a real-life prince His name was Saw Kia Singh. He was a prince in an independent group of states in Burma. And back in the 1950s, Singh came to the United States, to Denver, Colorado, to go to college. He wanted to study agriculture, to learn how to grow things. And since he wanted to experience what it was like to be an average student in the United States, he didn't tell anybody that he was a prince. Not even his professors knew who he really was. Well, there was another student, and her name was Inga, Inga Sargent. Inga was from Austria. She was also an exchange student. And Inga and the prince became friends right away and they noticed that they had a lot in common, and they started to spend more and more time together, and eventually their friendship grew into love. And here's where it begins to sound like a fairy tale, but it's not a fairy tale, it really happened. The prince decided that he wasn't going to tell Inga that he was a prince either. He decided that he was going to wait and see how serious he was, she was about him before she before he told her who he was. He didn't want her to love him just because he was a prince, but he wanted her to love him for himself. And so, even when they got engaged, he didn't tell her. On their wedding day, they got married in the United States, and he still didn't tell her who he was. And then. He said, for our honeymoon, let's take a trip to Burma to see my family. And he thought he would surprise her. And so they got on a ship and they went to Burma to see his family. And as their ship arrived at Burma and they were docking, hundreds of people were waiting on the shore. They were cheering and holding up welcome signs. And there was a band that was playing. People were tossing flowers toward the boat and into the water and at the boat. And she, Inga was so surprised that all this was happening. She didn't know there was somebody important on the ship with her. And she said, what's, all, what's going on here? What's this all about? And he turned to her and he said, Inga, these people are cheering because they're celebrating my arrival and your arrival. You see, I am a prince, and you are a princess. Suddenly, she saw her husband in a whole new way. He was not only the man that she loved, but he was a prince. Well, in today's Gospel reading, the disciples have experienced the final event, they experienced the final event in the roller coaster journey that was this time that they spent with Jesus. He had been their teacher. He had been their friend. They had seen him do miraculous things, feed 5,000 people, heal lepers, make blind people see, raise the dead even. But they also saw the crowds turn against him and take him away. And nail him to a cross and crucify him. But then on the third day, he rose again. And he appeared to them. And over a period of 40 days, Jesus appeared several times to those same disciples. And now he was saying goodbye. And you just heard Lauren read about how that all took place. Before he left, he said now this is what I told you while I was with you. I told you what was going to happen. It didn't sink in because that's how us people are. We don't get it until after the fact when we can look back. But he said, I told you I was going to suffer and that I was going to rise again and come back on the third day and that I was going to do this so that your sins could be forgiven and all people's sins could be forgiven. Beginning with Jerusalem, I want you to go out now after I leave, and I want you to tell everyone that you find about me and about what I've done and about how much I love each of them, so much that I gave my life for them. And then he says, but don't leave until... The Holy Spirit comes to enable you to do that, to give you the words, to give you the power. And then it says, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and he was taken up into heaven. Who was this man who had walked among them He was certainly no ordinary man. He was a man who had been predicted to come by the prophets, had done exactly what the prophets had said he was going to do. He'd risen, he'd ascended into heaven. And for sure, they only knew one thing, and that is that he was indeed who he said he was. He was the Son of God. Ascension Day. It was actually this past Thursday. But I wanted to talk a little bit about Ascension this year because I usually pass it up because it never happens on a Sunday. And so Ascension Day, I want to talk about three things that it tells us. First of all, it tells us who Jesus is. Then it tells us what he wants us to do. And then the third thing it tells us is how he wants us to do it, how we're able to do it. First of all, let's talk about who Jesus is. We say it well in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in Jesus Christ, the man of Nazareth, our crucified and living Lord. He has come to us and shared our common lot, conquering sin and death and reconciling the world. To himself. That's what we believe. We believe Jesus is our Savior, our Master, our Lord, the head of this church, in charge of each of our lives. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is nobody above him. And we know that one day, even those who mock him or deny him will bow because the scriptures say every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. That's in the book of Philippians. All this is confirmed at the ascension. No wonder the disciples were filled with joy, and it says that they worshiped him, and they stayed at the temple praising him. They now knew without any doubt that those past three years they had been in the presence of of the Son of God. There were three young Englishmen who in April of 1848 found themselves in Paris in the middle of a revolution which overthrew King Louis Felipe. And one of them kept a diary of the trip. And there's one entry where he describes the invasion of the palace by a mob. And he says everything was being smashed When suddenly the mob reached the chapel, they broke down the chapel doors, and there in front of them they saw a huge painting of the crucified Christ, and it was behind the altar. Everyone stopped. Somebody said, hats off. Most of the crowd knelt down. They took the picture down handled it very, very carefully, and took it out to a church nearby and hung it there in complete silence. He said you could have heard a pin drop. And as the disciples stood there on that day, I'm sure it was the same way as Jesus ascended into heaven. I bet they were just as silent. There was no more question about who he was. It was settled forever. Now let's talk about what he wants us to do. In his last minutes with, with, with his disciples, right before he ascended, he gave them these words. He told them, these were their marching orders. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day And repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. His last instruction to them was that they were to be witnesses to all that they had seen. Like I said to the kids a few minutes ago, what is a witness? A witness is a person who explains, who tells what they have seen, what they have heard, what they know about something or about someone. And that is the charge that Jesus gave those disciples that day and gives us today. In 1985, there was a movie which was called Shoah, S-H-O-A-H. It was not a movie that most of us would probably enjoy watching because, for one thing, it was over nine hours long. It took 11 years to make, and it was a movie which is full of eyewitness accounts of the Holocaust. There were interviews with survivors. There were interviews with Nazis. There were interviews with witnesses. People who had seen what went on during the Holocaust. One person that was interviewed was a man named Philip Muller, who was a Jewish man. And he said that one day, he was watching other Jews being marched into a gas chamber to die. And he said that he felt like he had no reason to go on living because it was just a matter of time and it was going to be his turn anyway. His family was already dead. And so he got in line and he went right in with them. And when he did, he said that a small group of women came over by him and one woman looked at him and said, so you want to die? That's senseless. You dying won't save us. It won't save our lives. He said, You must get out of here alive so that you can be a witness and tell others about our suffering, tell others about the injustice that was done to us and to our people. Roger Ebert, who was a film critic, in his review wrote these words He said, And that is the final testimony of this extraordinary film. This is not a documentary. This is not journalism. This is not propaganda. This is not political. It is an act of witness. In it, the filmmaker, Claude Landsman, celebrates the priceless gift that sets man apart from animals and makes us human and gives us hope. Here it is the ability for one generation to tell the next one what it has learned. Ebert was right. It is our responsibility to tell the next generation what we have learned. This movie witnesses to something horrible, the senseless death of six million people. We think of the equally senseless death of 3,000 people on 9-11. We think of the equally senseless death of thousands of innocent civilians in Ukraine who are being killed daily. We think of those 19 innocent children and two of their teachers who were killed in Uvalde, Texas this past week. It's our responsibility to learn from tragedies like these and tell the next generations we must do something, and we must not forget, ever. Then the disciples of Jesus witnessed something that was not horrible, something that was wonderful. They saw one person die for all. They watched, well, some of them watched, God's son die for us. They couldn't wait to tell the story. And Christians have been telling that story for over 2,000 years. Now it's our turn. The question we have to ask ourselves is, will we do our part? Will we share? and teach the next generation. There was a sad incident that happened in the 1936 Olympics. In the women's 400-meter relay race, the Germans were far in the lead. They were ahead by a good five yards. And then as the last runner, the third runner, passed the baton to the last runner, With that clear lead, there was no way they were going to lose. Something unthinkable happened. He dropped the baton. Well, they lost the race. Pictures showed the emotion of that runner who dropped that baton. And there was a magazine with pictures of the Olympics. And under the picture of that young man dropping the baton... There were three captions in three different languages. The English version said, they dropped the baton. The French version said, they dropped temois. Now, temois is an ordinary French word, which means witness. The idea is that the runner who reaches the finish line has to have that baton in his hand as a witness that the whole distance has been covered. That they've run every inch of that race. Now what about this generation? Will we pass the baton when it comes to telling the story of the gospel? In most of our churches, congregations are getting older. Some people say, we're slowly a little bit at a time going out of business. I say it's not so. I say God is just as alive as God ever was. And that God is just as much in charge as he ever was. And that this morning he still sits on the throne. And that his church, scripture tells us I'm not just saying this because I want it to be that way, but it says about my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Church isn't going to die. We're going through some tough times. We've hit some potholes, but we're going to be okay. We may look different, we may be smaller, we may not. We may come out of this being bigger in number than ever before, but will certainly be stronger because of it all. My prayer is that we're found faithful and that we are carrying that baton right to our very last day, right to the last inch of this race. We see what Ascension Day tells us, who Jesus is, what we are to do to be his witnesses, to raise our families, to follow him, to invite our friends to follow him, to live a life that attracts other people to follow him. And then we see one more thing, where the power comes from to be able to do what he asks us to do. Jesus says in our reading, you are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Where does our power come from? Our power comes from God's Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the gift that God has promised us. Next Sunday, when we celebrate Pentecost, and don't forget to wear your red, we'll talk more about the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us though, is power. Jesus said so. The power to endure, the power to get through even the most difficult times, the power to make a difference. The Holy Spirit also gives us guidance because it doesn't make much difference how much power you have if you don't know where you're going or if you're headed in the wrong direction. Years ago, there was a virus that infected several flocks of Canadian geese. And the virus destroyed their navigation system. They flew in circles. They were disoriented. They didn't know what they were doing, and they got lost. And as a result, many of the geese died, all because of a lack of ability to navigate. Many people today are clueless about their lives and the direction that they should go, kind of like those geese were. We're missing out on a great resource for our lives if we don't pray daily and ask for the guidance, the gift of God's Holy Spirit. May I suggest that one reason that we don't have as big of an impact as we could is that we don't ask God for it. We don't ask for guidance. We don't ask for power that the Holy Spirit offers. These are thoughts that we can take away from the ascension of Jesus. We know who he is. We know who we are. We are his beloved. He has called us to carry that baton. That's what we do these days. It's our turn. It's our leg of the race. We carry that baton as best we can we run as fast and hard as we can and we do the best job we can and then we hand it down to the next generation to continue to share that love and he has promised us his holy spirit to help us to empower us to comfort us when we're hurting and to lift us up when we fail and when we fall no wonder On that first ascension day, Luke ends his story like this. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them, and he was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Let's do that. Let's worship him. Let's go into the world when we leave this place with joy. Let's remember to return to the temple and to praise God as well. The temple at home, that time you spend alone with God. The temple here when we gather together to worship him. May we be found faithful, carrying that baton and then handing it off when we leave, amen.